Hi everyone, welcome back to Airplane Mode. I'm Temi. And I'm Liz. This is where we talk about our lives as two American women living and traveling abroad. Uh, This is our fourth episode, so if you're just tuning in, you should check out the first three. And today we are talking about, drumroll, (laughs) misconceptions about living in Africa. There are quite a few of them. Those of you who know that Liz and I both live in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, which is a country situated on the west coast of Africa. And we have had a lot of misconceptions coming from family, friends, acquaintances, other Americans about what it's like to live in quote-unquote Africa. So today we are going to address some of those common misconceptions and hopefully dispel the myths. Hey, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How was your weekend? It was good. Yeah, we spent most of it together. Yes. Went to the beach. It was with a big group that we just met. Most of them we actually met at the beach. Yes. So it was fun to meet some new people, expats. It's probably the most Americans I've ever been around since being here. That's so true. My first time meeting them. And we met someone at the beach that we found out lives in our apartment building. Yes. So it is a very small world. I know. (laughs) So that's cool. Shall we dive in? We shall dive in. I guess the first one is Africa is not a country. It is a continent. It is not a country. And it is not a small continent either. For those of us from North America, our continent is actually about 80% the size of Africa. You know, it's funny because we just had a a regional conference. Uh, Mallory and I, our, our other roommate, we had a conference in Senegal where all of the people who basically have our job around the continent all came to Dakar for this week long thing. And I realized like some of these people were literally traveling two days to get to Dakar and we all lived on the continent of Africa. South Africa, some people that came from Kenya, some people that came from Uganda, like they had to, I mean, I think part of it definitely is the fact that I feel like airlines don't have reasonable or as reasonable routes on the continent. Yeah, not as many direct flights. Yeah, but still, like, people in Kenya, I think, had to travel, like, just some weird routes, like... I can't even remember, but basically, like, I feel like when you think of, oh, we're all meeting on the continent and we all live on the continent, it shouldn't take that long. But (laughs) I realize, like, it's actually very, there's a lot of ground to cover. It's very extensive travel. It is crazy. So there are actually over 50 countries in Africa. Mm. It's hard. It's hard to give an exact number because they kind of change from time to time based on political stuff and whatnot. But yeah, so Ivory Coast is where we live. It's a pretty small country, about the size of one of the Midwest states. Yeah. You know, Kansas, Missouri. Yeah. That's my frame of reference. Yeah. That's where I'm from. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but it's right on the southern coast mm-hmm. of West Africa. So yeah, yeah. We're in a very, very small piece yes. of Africa. Yeah. So the first mm. one that we hear is, mm. so do you guys live like in huts yes. or like in the village? Yeah. No, we live in a (laughs) amazing, amazing house with a great view and all the amenities that we could ask for. Sometimes even more, like we have Mm -hmm. someone who can clean our house for us multiple times a week that we could Mm -hmm. never, at least at this point in our lives, could never afford in the United States. 
Well, in the city that we live in has a population of about 6 million. Yeah. Um, It's actually the third largest French-speaking city in the world. And in fact, the largest French-speaking city in the world is not Paris. I was shocked as well. (laughs) I didn't know this. It is another city in Africa, Kinshasa in the Congo. Yeah. I didn't look up what the population of Kinshasa is, but it's larger than Paris. Yeah. So very metropolitan, very much not living in a village. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people that do live in villages. That is definitely a part of the like life for some people in the country. But yes, in our experience, no. And a lot of the people who, who live more in the village would be agriculture workers, yeah. farmers. Yeah. Um, so they would typically have, you know, their, their livelihood consists of more yeah. living off the land, I think. I agree. Whereas there's a lot in, in Abidjan, there's jobs like finance and IT and banking yeah. and all kinds of, you know, normal city jobs. Yeah. So. I mean, even to, and maybe this is me jumping ahead, but like even today, Liz and I went to go do work at a cafe and like this place, when you walk in, I feel like is one of the bougiest places here, but I feel like even in the U.S. it would be super bougie. Like you have a guard, you have air condi- like you just have like some of the malls in Abidjan, I think are better built than malls in Charlottesville, Virginia. Yeah. So, like, well, I more mean, metropolitan. But here in Abidjan, there's, like, Prada, Gucci, yeah. Swarovski, all these crazy luxury brands that you yeah. can shop. It's very much... Very much... Very like, developed. I feel like I have way more exposure to cultures here mm-hmm. in terms of, like, meeting expats, meeting people from around the world than I've ever had in the town that I grew up in the States. Yeah. And I know that's probably different. Like if you live in the States and you grew up in New York or Washington, D.C., like maybe your experience is very different from ours. But I would say like, I feel like this is the most access I've had to like a metropolitan hub and to other cultures than at any other point in my life. That's so so interesting. Yeah, Yeah. I know. I feel like you'd expect it to be the opposite. You know, you spend your whole life in America. That's the birthplace of culture. That's where things are happening. Yeah, but honestly, like, I felt like in a lot of ways in America, I was living under a rock. (laughs) And now I feel exposed to the real world. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that? Yeah, I mean, I had definitely visited cities like Milan, Paris, Mm -hmm. Rome, where... You know, you have the big shopping malls and whatever. And I, I will say that Abidjan's shopping malls obviously don't compare on that scale. Yeah. But no, I had never lived in a city that had for sure the population or, you know, the amenities and the number of restaurants and all that that yeah. Abidjan has for yeah. sure. Okay, so I feel like I want to, or we can move on to the next one, which I think the biggest the biggest stereotype or misconception is that all of Africa is super impoverished and that poverty is everywhere, which is, I feel like it just, it's, it's a complex statement that needs to be like unpacked. First of all, it's not true. That we can just say that. Like, it's not true. Like, yes, poverty definitely exists on the continent, in the country, in the city. But poverty exists everywhere. And I've also seen some of the biggest displays of wealth 100%. that I have anywhere else. There are definitely people here who are more wealthy than probably anyone in Kansas City, period. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we've, we've written down a couple examples in our notes Mm -hmm. one is in the 
apartment complex where we live, but we've got parking areas that are covered. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just kind of like a carport, a metal roof. It's not a building or anything. But there is a woman who occupies a parking space, and that is where she lives. Mm. And she's got her bed laid out there, her pillows. She's even got, like, little house plants set out on the perimeter of this parking space. And in the parking space right across from her is a Mercedes G-Class. Yeah. So we're talking like $200,000 vehicle that the owner is at least a millionaire and is parking across from this woman who is obviously homeless. And I I think that's probably the biggest difference is in, in the U.S., there's poverty, there's middle class, there's upper class, there's millionaires. There's kind of this wide range. And it kind of seems like here you notice a gap yes where it's it's either poverty or extreme wealth wealth. there's less of that middle ground i think and i also feel like people who are considered like middle class anywhere like in the states or in france when they get here they occupy that upper like that top one percent that makes sense like i feel like I mean, even kind of going back to what I was saying before. Well, I would, I, I don't know if I would say top 1%. I think we've seen Africans who true fair. live in ways that even though I would be considered probably upper or middle class here, mm-hmm. I will probably never Live that have way. the amount of wealth that some of the local Ivorians have. That's fair. I would say like certain, okay, certain luxurious things like, for instance, the fact we know people who like live in villas here, right? A lot mm-hmm. of them expats live in villas with a pool. They have someone that can clean their house every single day. They have someone that can cook for them in France or in any other country that they come from in Europe or even in the U.S. They would never be able to afford that. That's very true. So I, like, so I guess that's what I'm saying in terms of like they have Westerners can access luxuries that like revolve around like labor much more cheaply. And that's and that's not to say it's exploitative. It's just yeah. that the cost of labor here is is much lower because the average cost of living is also yeah. much lower. Yeah. And so for expats who are making Four paychecks yeah. that would be equivalent to what you would be making in you know, for Europe's cost of living, it goes a lot further, further. here. Yeah. yeah. Do you wanna just go into the expat population? Sure. Yeah, so I guess I guess the next one is what is the population or what are expats like? I think first we should define expat mm-hmm. because when I call myself an expat, some people look at me and go, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so an expat is just a short, shortened version of the word expatriate. And that just means somebody who no longer lives in their country of origin. Mm-hmm. Somebody who has moved from their home country to live somewhere else, whether that's temporary or somewhat permanent, they would be considered an expat. Mm-hmm. So, and what has been your experience with expats? I think overall very positive. Mm-hmm. And I think this honestly plays a little bit into our past couple episodes on friendship and just it's really easy to meet people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I think the largest expat communities here, I mean, it's not I think, mm-hmm. the largest expat communities here are French mm-hmm. and Lebanese. A lot of French presence here because Ivory Coast was colonized by the French. And so there's still a lot of French influence, um, a lot of infrastructure and foreign aid comes from France. 
There's um, military presence here. Um, And then Lebanese, there's kind of been different waves of Lebanese moving to West Africa. Mm -hmm. Um, There were waves, you know, in the 1800s. There was another big wave in the 70s. And there's kind of a current wave of Lebanese leaving because of kind of a political and economic crisis in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of the people kind of at our age Mm -hmm. are leaving and coming here and going to other countries in West Africa just to you know, set up businesses and establish, you know, methods of income so that they can support themselves and even their families back home. Outside of that, there's kind of a scattering of various nationalities, you know, European, Asian, as well as Africans. Yeah. And that's interesting, too, because I feel like there are part of kind of what we talked about in terms of like different socioeconomic statuses. I feel like some of that also can come from, um, or some of the tension, I think definitely you can see it amongst different expat groups. I feel like a lot, unfortunately, but I, I think this is true that a lot of times like expats from Western countries tend to occupy like the more not all, not all of them, com- or not in comparison to everyone, but maybe occupy more of the higher economic statuses. And I don't think there's always necessarily like the best relationship between expats and locals from what I've seen. But also like there are expats, like for instance, from Senegal, from Nigeria, from Ghana, from other West African countries. And even some of those relationships between other Ivorians, I think aren't always great. Mm -hmm. But I feel like from the people that I've interacted with, like I feel like the opportunity to engage with these different expat cultures has been really like beneficial and it usually is very fruitful but I'm also saying that as Mm -hmm. an expat so that could probably be a very one-sided view yeah Yeah. I think it would be really interesting to do maybe a full episode just on expat life and culture and yeah okay what about the stereotype you've heard that all African culture is the same that's a tough one because there are similarities uh, you know, as I've traveled, granted, I've only been to, you know, here, Senegal and Morocco, you've traveled a lot more in Africa, so mm-hmm. you can speak to this more. But there are similarities in the places I've traveled, but I can also notice stark differences. So, for instance, in Senegal, it's very much more Arab. And part of that is due to just a, a much stronger Muslim influence. Um, Morocco is even more Arab influenced, I think. And the interesting thing I've noticed is I think a lot of the things that we associate with African culture, such as, you know, the really bright colored wax print fabrics and some of the tourism goods like Mm -hmm. wood carvings and masks and things like that are actually kind of imported or imposed. Mm -hmm. So like those those bright colored waxes originated in China. Mm -hmm. Europeans saw them and thought Africans would like these. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So actually a lot of those are produced in Europe and imported here. And so it is interesting the way that foreigners have somewhat imposed their own idea of African culture onto this continent. Outside of that, I'd say there's there's a pretty wide diversity yeah. in culture. And I think I'd kind of like to yeah. hear your perspective because you've, you've traveled Senegal, 
Morocco, but you've also been where? Rwanda, yeah, Rwanda South, South Africa, Africa Benin, um, Nigeria, yeah, Tunisia. But yeah, I would definitely, I am, I'm still very much no expert on Africa, on the continent, but I do think that even from like different coasts, like the time, the times that I've spent in West Africa versus like when I was in Rwanda, like I feel like, and maybe this is also just indicative of Rwandan culture specifically, but I felt like the countries I've been to in West Africa felt similar to what I would call organized chaos. Like things work, <laughs> you know, like, but there is things have, a, you know, a, an order and a process, but it's, there's just chaos to it. You know, whether it's like hailing a taxi down, whether it's the, what we would call the bakas or the minibuses and people beating them on the back, like, you know, <laughs> there are like, it's things work, but I think it's a bit more chaotic. Whereas I felt like my time in Rwanda. And again, I know that Rwanda is, very like a, been like portrayed as like this pillar of Africa and people have called it like the Singapore of Africa but or Kigali at least but I definitely felt like there was a little bit more like order and yes things can sort of have a chaos but it felt less chaotic and then South Africa I was in Johannesburg when I went to South Africa and I honestly felt like I was like in New York City like it's a very very metropolitan very western there was a McDonald's like I was staying with a friend and when they were at work I would just order Uber Eats and I didn't get a chance to go to Cape Town but someone who one of my friends who who's visited Cape Town was like Cape Town felt like I was in Malibu. And like most of the people in Cape Town are actually white. There are, aren't, according to her, there aren't as many black people in Cape Town. And that's Africa. And then like, like you said, like Morocco felt like more Arab. Some, some of it also felt like a little bit of a Spanish influence, Spanish vibe going on to me. And then even differences between Anglophone African culture and Francophone African culture. Like, I feel like Francophone African culture is a bit more, like, relaxed and calm. I think Abidjan is probably the most hectic Francophone African countries. I haven't been to the Congo, so maybe that might be different. But when I'm in Lagos versus when I'm in Abidjan, I feel like Lagos is constantly moving, hectic. Lagos is, like... 70% 70% chaos, 30% organization. <laughs> Whereas, like, I feel like Abidjan is a little bit more balanced of organized chaos. But, like, Lagos is just crazy, busy, always moving, like, just boom, 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 boom. And I definitely feel like it would be much harder to live there as, like, someone who maybe grew up in, like, a quieter town in, in America or even as just a woman living on their own. Mm. I think it would be difficult to live in a place like Lagos. Whereas I think Abidjan, even though it ha- can have all those exciting things, has a bit more of, like, a ease and a comfort. And I, I, and I definitely think a part of that, like intensity and culture comes from the different influences of being English speaking versus the French influence. Mm-hmm. Well, and I so. think we've both kind of noted, especially you, cause you've, you've traveled more, but there's, there seems to be a much heavier ongoing French presence in Francophone countries, as opposed to former British colonies where the British have kind of, to a large extent pulled yeah. out and, and don't have as much yeah. ongoing influence. Yeah. I think that's also especially true in Abidjan. From other people that I've talked to, I get the sense that that's less of the case. 
compared to Cote d'Ivoire and other mm-hmm. Francophone countries. I think we kind of noticed that in Senegal, too. Yeah, like yeah there you're was, right. I mean, in Senegal, it was interesting. I think we went just kind of assuming, oh, you know, we're going to another Francophone West African country. It's yeah. going to be the same. And there were definitely similarities. Yeah. And those similarities, I think, really helped us because we were so familiar with Abidjan. But yeah. there were quite a few taxi drivers who only spoke Wolof, mm-hmm. didn't speak French. Yeah. Um, so there was a little bit even of a language barrier, mm-hmm. even though French is the official language yeah. of Senegal. I guess, well, I think it's French and Wolof yeah. are the official languages. But yeah. it was it was interesting. Like there were people we couldn't communicate with yeah. in a Francophone country where we don't ever have that problem in Abidjan. Yeah. And it's funny because I remember we went to Mallory, our roommate, we went to Dakar last week for work. And on the way back, we were checking our, getting our bags. And we actually ended up talking to this Senegalese guy. We were asking him like, oh, how do you usually fly? He was from the state. So we asked him, oh, like, do you usually take a layover in Paris? And he was like, never. Like, I will, I never try to go to Paris. Like, I don't, like, I speak French, but I try hard not to. Like, I am not into French culture whatsoever. And that was interesting to me because that was just, like, a very, like, no France. But, like, you know, here in Abidjan, I feel like most people that I meet that, like, most Ivorians that I meet that are well-traveled all, I think, frequent Paris or France. 100%. At some point. That's so interesting. Yeah, he was very, like, he didn't, he doesn't even want to have layovers in Paris. Like, he did not, he was not with France. Like, like, at all. Yeah. That is a thing. I, I, that is interesting, though, where I feel like so many, even when I was teaching at, like, the French school, during, like, winter vacation, all of my students that were, like, especially the really wealthy Ivorians, they would all all be like, oh, I'm going to Paris for Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's December, it's cold, and it's wet, and mm-hmm. it's, like, dark there all the time. Like, why do you guys yeah. want to go to Paris? And now's the worst time to be in Paris. <laughs> Definitely, I think French culture still has a big influence mm-hmm. and hold on Cote d'Ivoire. I think the other place where I've noticed cultural differences across different people groups, but also different countries in Africa is in art. Mm. And there are certain things, there's these woven baskets that are kind of colorful. And when you see them, we know those are from Senegal. You know, there's specific beads that are made in Ghana and there are specific beads that are made in Ivory Coast. And when I go to the markets, I know these are the Ghana beads. These are the Ivory Coast beads. There's textiles that are specific to the Baule people here. They're the ones that weave these very, what well, you call them pan, yeah. but it's it's just a text a woven textile. Mm-hmm. And then there's another people group here in Ivory Coast that are Sinufo, and they create a very different textile. So even when you look at these fabrics in the markets, you can tell mm-hmm. kind of what people group they come from, even just within the Ivory Coast. And the Ivory Coast has somewhere between 60 and 70 different people groups Mm. that all, you know, speak their own language, have their own culture, that kind of thing. And so I think it's been really fascinating living here and kind of learning to recognize some of those differences in kind of the art. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And even like some looking at some of the sculptures, like I remember when I was in Benin, I could look at certain sculptures and be like, oh, that's a Yoruba sculpture. Mm. Or here, like some of the statues they make, you can tell when it's a Baule man. And I guess part of that is the fact that there are certain people groups that stretch between countries, you know, Mm. like the Akan people 
They exist in Ivory Coast, but they also exist in Ghana, mm-hmm. which is interesting because even the way that they spell their names phonetically is influenced by the people that colonize them. For like my, so, you know, my family was born in Nigeria. My parents were born in Nigeria. And so there's a popular like name Olu and Nigerians spell Olu O-L-U because that's how you would spell it in English. Mm-hmm. But Beninese people spell Olu O-L-O-U because in French, Benin was a French mm-hmm. you know, colony. U is spelled using O-U. Yeah. And even like with Kwajo, like Kwajo is a guy neat, like people in Ghana have that name, mm-hmm. but people in Cote d'Ivoire also have that name. But here they spell it like Kwadio. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's... Like, yeah. I just feel like you can sort, you can see those influences, even though like hundreds or even thousands of years ago, there would have been no distinction from they were the same people group, whether they were in modern day Ghana or modern day Ivory Coast. But the different colonization, colonized people's culture, I don't know if that makes yeah. sense, but you know what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. The culture of the colonizers influence in a lot of ways. We definitely yeah. need to dive into that yeah. more. Yeah. There's yeah. there's so much to unpack with yeah. how the country lines were yeah. determined. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little messed yeah. up. They weren't smart. We can just say that the colonizers didn't do the best. Well, maybe actually they were smart and they did it on the way they did it. Was, well, they did it for their own selfish yes. reasons. So, yes. you know, they, yeah. were, they were selfishly intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. Okay, another one, mm-hmm. Temi. Do you see so do you see giraffes and jaguars and lions and elephants? I have never seen a giraffe, a lion, a jaguar, or an elephant outside of a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> Ever. <laughs> and I actually I've seen those all of those things in the US, but never in Africa. Yeah. So And I love how so just a funny anecdote. I recently went to Thailand and went to an elephant sanctuary. And when I posted something about it on my Instagram story, I had a friend from Abidjan reach out to me and be like, Liz, you live in a country called Ivory Coast. Yeah. Why are you going to Thailand to hang out with <laughs> elephants? I mean, good point. <laughs> and I, was, I just responded, the irony is not lost on me. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are elephants in Ivory Coast. They're protected. There are little kind of like mini safaris to see them, I guess. Yeah. But there's, there's really no... Cote d'Ivoire, nowhere in West Africa really has a true safari in the sense of, you know, we're going to look at rhinos and giraffes and all that. So East Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, that's kind of where the big, the big safari animals, you know, leopards and lions and all that. In Ivory Coast, what do we have? We've got the elephants monkeys and then we also have hippos there's some little deer like creatures yeah but don't think of a u.s deer yeah and apply it to what yeah. an ivory coast deer is like it looks the ivory coast deer kind of look like a cross between a pig and a deer that's how, <laughs> that's how that's the best way i know to describe yeah, them they're so weird fair. looking and i'll okay as a little disclaimer we keep using we say cote d'ivoire sometimes we say ivory coast cote d'ivoire is ivory coast in french Cote d'Ivoire is like the official name of the country, but a lot of English speakers will refer to it as the Ivory Coast. That's a good... I realize that could be confusing. Footnote. Yeah. (laughs) We've got crocodiles. Oh, yeah. 
I think the crocodiles are native here. But then we also have caimans that... What is the difference between I, caimans and crocodiles? I think a crocodile is really big and scary. Okay. And a caiman is smaller. And I think the caimans were imported by the president. Okay. And that's a whole that's a whole different yeah. story. But yeah, but Temi and I have been to see the hippos. Yes. And that's kind of a, an excursion. It's, it's a weekend trip. You stay yeah. at a hotel. hotel kind of thing and then... A local Ivorian takes you out on a canoe boat, and you definitely don't go very close. It's it's very much a look from a distance. Hippos are very dangerous creatures. Yeah, which I Um, didn't know that when we went to go look. I didn't realize how dangerous they were. I feel like if I had known, I would have been like, should we be doing this right now? Because they can run really fast, too, right? I think, yeah, I think they can swim really fast. I, yeah. I guess they can run really I don't know. Yeah. It was a cool experience. It I was think. a cool experience. Yeah. I mean, we were pretty far away, but yeah. it was still really cool. There was two adults and a baby. Yeah. You know, they were kind of like, every now and then they would, like, talk to each other. Yeah. So they made some funny noises, and it was fun to watch them kind of play in the water. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What kind of underwater creatures since you are a, school, oh, yeah. you're a diver. I've so been you, diving. Yeah. I've never seen any large fish, like sharks. Actually, that's not true. I've seen dolphins. Okay. I've not, I've not seen dolphins while I've been under the water, but on our boat trips, like to our dive sites, we've seen dolphins. Okay. Um, but outside of that, we've seen, you know, tuna, doctor fish, a lot of the different reef fish that you would see other places, angelfish, gobies. If you're a scuba diver, you'll know what I'm talking yeah, about. I, otherwise, this is just otherwise I'm gonna stop naming <laughs> naming fish. In my head. Yeah, <laughs> I still want to go to a safari. Like that is on my bucket list before I leave. Yeah, there are. I would love to do this. So in the in the city of Boaké here in Ivory Coast, it's about four hour drive. Mm-hmm. I think there's kind of these mini safaris, and it's really I think mostly to see the elephants. But I really want to do that. Yeah. I saw they were hosting a promo through the end of the month. So maybe we should hop on that. Yeah. But would we drive? Sorry, this has nothing to do with the podcast. But I I think I would take the bus. I don't think I would want to drive that far. Yeah. In Old Faithful. We call this car Old Faithful because it's old, but it's faithful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a 23, 24-year-old Mercedes. Yeah. It's still going. Kind of like driving a tank. (laughs) And it gets about the same gas mileage as I imagine a tank would. (laughs) It gets me from point A to point B and the crazy bumpy roads in and out of Abidjan have not destroyed it yet. All right. Well, I feel like that's stuff. We've got some we've got some more misconceptions, but yes. I think we're getting to a point where you might get tired of listening soon. So So we'll stop there. We'll save them for next week. Yes, but stay tuned for next week. Love you all. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>